We're, we're, thank you. Uh, been, this is the third of a week of a series that we've been doing. I've been doing on the subject of how we should live uh, as a result of being a kind of people that we think God wants us to be in a city, in a particular place, at a particular time in history, where God wants his people to be what we call prophetic. Prophetic doesn't mean you predict the future. Prophetic means that on some level you have more going on than what you're just doing. Uh, that in a way we're like sails, you know, the sail doesn't really work without the wind. The prophetic is the, that inspiration, that behind your life, your actions, your words, your attitudes, your emotions, and all this kind of thing, that, that there's something behind it, that we become a kind of prophetic people. When we become that kind of people, we actually speak for God to people. Uh, provocative text we've used as, as kind of the the lead text for this series is out of Exodus 7, and this is the Lord speaking to Moses. And he says, see, Moses, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. It's such a provocative text. That somehow God's saying, listen, I'm setting you up to be God to Pharaoh. And I think in some real way that his people have always been this, that, that we represent God in the world in which we live. We, we are called the body of Christ. So most of Christ some will ever see before eternity is simply us. And so if, if we think about that, we, we immediately ask the question, as a person of faith, are we faithfully representing God? If we're the most that, of, that some will ever see of God, are they seeing much of God through our lives? And this whole notion implies that our lives actually matter, which then leads to the question, how then shall we live? And in this series, we've talked about the idea of being a prophetic people who speak for God, and that that would mean that we would need to handle truth accurately, that we would need to be a people of faith, a people of love. And the last week, we talked about what holiness would look like. But today, I want to talk about the notion of being a spirit filled people, a people who actually are encountering and embodying the power of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. Ephesians 3 is a great prayer that Paul is praying. Listen to how he, he sort of sets this up, and I want to tease this apart just a little bit. He says as he prays, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of God's glorious riches, watch, that he might strengthen you guys with power through the Holy Spirit, through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that the result is Christ may dwell in your hearts. In other words, you'll be God to Pharaoh. You'll look like God in the world, look like Christ in the world, through your trust, through your faith in God. He says, I pray that you'll be rooted and established in this idea of being a loving people, the love of God, the very essence of God is love. That you'll have power with all the Lord's holy people, which means we do this together. That we can grasp some stuff. How wide and long and high and deep is this love that we're in. And to know this love that can't be known, <laughs> that sort of surpasses no, <laughs> it, it passes you by and yet we're supposed to know it in some way. That we might be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God and then he says, now to him who's able to do way beyond what you're thinking, immeasurably more than you ask, immeasurably more than you can conjure up in your thinking, in your imagination, according to his power that is at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, he says, so be it, or amen. 
So I just want to, again, tease apart a couple of thoughts from this. First of all, in this beginning of the text in verse 16, when he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. When you read the New Testament, it's clear that these early followers of Jesus were fascinated by the notion that the Spirit of God had been poured upon every one of them, on all people, right? Um, and Jesus had promised this in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you'll, it'll mess with you. You'll be a different kind of people. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea to Samaria, all the way up to um, Kansas City. And then it happens, he says, in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly this thing starts happening, this blowing of a violent wind comes from heaven, the whole house fills the whole house where they're sitting, and what looked like these, these tongues of fire separated and came on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what was so odd to them was their understanding that the spirit in the Jewish narrative only rested on a few people, on, on really the, the, the important people, like the priests or the king or the prophet. The Holy Spirit wasn't on everybody, just the special people. And yet, in this moment, it, they discover that somehow because they've aligned themselves with God in Christ, that the Holy Spirit's poured on all of them. And Peter, right after this moment of the Spirit filling them, he gets up and he references this ancient prophecy from this guy named Joel. His book is in the Old Testament. It's tucked in there. It's a small one. Go ahead and read it so you can tell him you read it when you get there. Um, but Acts 2, it says this. No, this is what, and this is uh, Peter preaching. He said, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, watch, I will pour out my spirit on all people. <laughs> this is a whole new idea. This, this, was avail this whole idea of being available to all without distinction is a new idea. And he says, as a result, your sons and daughters will prophesy, young men will see visions, old guys will be in on it. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Everybody gets in on this. And Paul actually says later that it is this same Holy Spirit that was the Spirit that, that really raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that animated Christ out of death, animated Christ out of the sin that had been thrown on him. And somehow, he's, Paul says that we would be given life by this same Spirit who had raised Christ from the dead, that it's on us. And so that the cry of the early church was to make room for the resurrection life in their everyday lives from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They walked around looking for the place where life would flow into them by the Spirit because the Spirit was on all flesh. And so you see cries out of Philippians 3 and 10 like Paul. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I mean, they, they, they believe that we could know Jesus and as a result actually experience the resurrection power in our everyday lives. Um, there are a number of things that strike you when you study the New Testament specifically about the role of the Holy Spirit. I want to point out two to you, two of them to you. First, when a person sort of chums with the Spirit when, or learns to connect with the Holy Spirit in their lives, finds out how that works for them with their personality, their background, etc., in their everyday lives, there's this stuff that comes out of you. The Bible calls it the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It appears in your life. Just by chumming with the Spirit, it sort of happens in you. And it's described in Galatians 5.22 by Paul brilliantly. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit 
is love. It's this capacity to set value and preciousness on people and to, and to love them for right reasons. Joy, which is this expectation of good instead of dread. Peace, which means you have this sense to, to always want things to be appropriate between you and other people in the way that you conduct your affairs. Patience, which means you can put up with a lot of junk and still stick in there. Right? And the kindness is referring to this notion. Kindness is, is, is it, it means being solicitous. It means being uh, engaged to show favor to people. That you're leaning in, not because of what you get out, but because you love from this energy that's within you to serve and to give to others. Uh, goodness, which is a reference to motive. That you don't have all these false motives. That you're doing it out of the goodness that you're experiencing from God's greatness. It's just you're good to people. Faithfulness means you stick with people. That'd be easier to run from. Gentleness means you're full of respect, honoring other people. You have a gentleness about you. And then self-control. It's odd that it calls it a fruit of the Spirit because self-control seems like it's self-control. But really, self-control is something that comes. We become more because he's in us. Paul said it this way, I can do all things because of Christ who strengthens me. So somehow because we're connected with the Holy Spirit, we end up being able to say no to things and yes to things without fighting ourselves because self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So if you're out of control, it doesn't mean you're bad. Well, it does. It means you are bad. <laughs> Let's get that off the table. But if you're, it's not, it's everybody's bad. You, you and I, if we need more self-control, don't beat yourself. Go to the place where fruit of self-control comes. It's, what's beautiful about fruit is that fruit isn't the result of effort. You know, think of an apple tree. It doesn't strain to make apples. You You get hemorrhoidal fruit that way. It's a horrible image. But that's like most Christians are, hemorrhoidal fruit. But anyway... All an apple tree has to do is strain to get into the nutrients it's, it's grounded in and to strain to reach out to the sun and to gather the water that's around it. That's what a fruit, that's what an apple tree does. It, it, we should not fight to do anything but to stay in the soil of God's presence and to draw from the nutrients around us and the water of the Spirit and the sun of God's presence. That's the stuff we should strain to fight in. And, and then what will happen is fruit will come. It simply comes. Fruit is only the measure of whether or not we've been in the presence long enough or more often enough. So how much love do you have or joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness, any of this stuff, gentleness, self-control, how much do you have in your life? Don't feel bad if it's a little just spend more time with the ghost. Right? Second observation about the Spirit is that when you're connecting with the Holy Spirit, it produces a kind of supernatural element in our lives, a number of supernatural elements in our lives. The, the, the theologians call them charisms. There are these gifts And they're listed in different places in Scripture. And you get the feeling as you read in Scripture that it's not an exhaustive list, but it's this kind of thing. And so we see Paul quoting some in Romans 12. He says, we all have different gifts according to the grace that's given us. Grace produces this fruitfulness. If a person's gift is prophesying, let him use it in the proportion to his faith. If the gift is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouragement, let him encourage. Some of you have encouragement gifts. 
that you know, that you, you get around some others that are encouraged, and you just feel encouraged. <laughs> you just, it's wonderful to be around. That's a spiritual charism. Uh, he says, if it is in contributing to the needs of others, let him do it generously. If it's in leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. These charisms are the ways in which God spills into our world. And they're done by the Holy Spirit. There's others that are a little more explicitly supernatural. They're called the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They show up in places like 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul writes, now to each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given, not just for a person's self-enjoyment uh, or for a person to, to sort of present themselves as important, but these gifts are given for the common good. And in this chapter, he lists gifts like the word of wisdom, which is this is a gift that is a kind of a premonition of some future happening. There are times in your life as you move toward God that you will discover things about your life that are surprising to you. They will come not in your, not in your calendar, but just just according to his will, is how the scripture says it. And whenever the Holy Spirit comes, it's always a creative moment. You remember in Genesis, when the Bible says that God creates, and it's, it's still in that kind of primordial kind of condition where there's, there's darkness over the surface of the deep, and there's chaos, and the Holy Spirit's there hovering. And, and as the Holy Spirit hovers, he's the one that takes what is spoken and turns it into reality. So whenever the Holy Spirit's present, there's always potential for creative activity. So in your life, the creative activity of the Holy Spirit will show up in these kind of gifts like this one, the word of wisdom. Um, I remember, you know, this sense, again, of premonition. I remember when I was going to Bible school, I used to take pictures to put myself through college and then through Bible school, and I, I was a, a wedding photographer and a portrait photographer, and uh, I was standing in line at a, a taking candids of, at this wedding, and as I was standing in line, I was, I just for one moment, I looked at my heart, I was just saying, I love you, Lord, you know, kind of trying to do what I do is under the Lord. The scripture talks about work should be a kind of worship, so I would sort of retreat and do that kind of thing as I was working and had to do to this day, and uh, when I did that, I sensed in my, I heard in my heart you're going to be invited to Aspen, Colorado to preach. Now, this doesn't sound like a big deal. It was a huge deal for me because I had never been asked by a church to say anything that anybody valued, <laughs> right? And so this is the first time, and I, I have this sense that someone, I knew a guy from there, but I didn't know what the backstory was, what was going to happen. About a week later, that guy called me. I didn't say anything to anybody. That guy called me and said, Ad. I said, yeah. And he said, man, would you be open to coming to, to Aspen to preach for us at our church? He said, would you pray about that? I went, yeah. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I didn't tell him the story. But, but it was just a simple little idea. Some of you have experienced this. You have this sense something's going to happen. Sometimes that's the, a gift of the Holy Spirit. Or you'll sense it about somebody else. Back in, in, in 1999, 1998, I had a huge, the wheels fell off of my bus in my life and um, had a personal tragedy. And, um, and right before all of that happened, I had a guy who was a prayer kind of person in my life for years call me from Wisconsin. He said, Ed, I said, yeah. He said, I have been praying for you. I'm up at night. He said, something is coming at you that's not good. He said, I, I just somehow I have this sense that you're going to come under attack in your life and it's not going to be good. You need to be aware of what's going on. And I remember thinking when I heard this, okay, great, okay, praise the Lord. 
And because I didn't pay more attention to it, I think it was a contribution to my disaster. See, I wonder how, I mean, not everything can be changed, but I wonder how much more could be if we would learn to be more sensitive to what God is trying to help us with in our lives. And there's this idea of the word of knowledge. This is, this is the kind of thing this is listed in 1 Corinthians 12. This word of knowledge is when you know something that you have no idea how you know it. And many of you have had this. Where you're talking with somebody, you know something's up. You perceive something's up. You may not know. Sometimes you'll know exactly what it is. I give you dozens of examples of this. Where people have had exact knowledge of something that's going on. And you know it isn't for you to poke at people or put down people, But because God loves them enough and they need to be helped that you bring this information to help them out of a stuck place in their lives. But, but God will bring this in your life. I think these are the kinds of things that we should hope for as we are in relationships with each other, as we're raising kids. I remember one time uh, I was uh, with Michael and our family and there was somebody visiting and, and we were at lunch and, uh, and I said, uh, I told Michael, he was about four or five, I told Mike, I said, Mike, will you pray? Michael, go ahead and pray. Mike, you pray. And he didn't. I said, Michael, pray. Pray with the food. Bless the food. And he didn't. Well, now I'm getting a little upset inside because I am the papa. And so I just, you know, I felt myself getting upset. It was a little bit of uncomfortableness, you know, in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, oh, this is great. The preacher's kid can't pray over the food. He's probably demon-possessed. For all I know, he's eating cats at night. Anyway, so anyway, I was, I, so it was later in the day, and I, and I was about ready to jump on him. Say, Michael, for crying out loud, when your dad asked you, I was just going to jump on him, you know, just like dads do sometimes. And right before I did it, as I started opening up about it, I could see him kind of cringe. And I looked in my heart just for a moment. I said, God, help me. And when I did that, I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me this knowledge. He doesn't know how to pray. Now, Lord, let me explain something to you. Of course he knows how to pray. He's heard me pray for five years. He's prayed before. This is stupid. Of course he knows how to pray. But instead of arguing in that sense, I thought, okay, I'll go with this. I said, honey, did you not pray today because you don't know how to pray today? I know how to pray. And he looked up and he said, I don't. I said, would you like your daddy to show you how to pray? Yes. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment, I thought, you know, I was about ready to wound this kid. I mean, I was going to whoop up on him emotionally, Right? See, I wonder how many times we miss moments in our lives because we don't learn to listen and reflect and just take a moment to see if God will say something to us. Because I think he's always trying to spell into our lives in simple ways and also ways that are more powerful, right? Um, This particular chapter talks about gifts of healing. Some of you do that. You have this sense when you prayed for people, you know healing comes. We need to encourage this kind of stuff. Uh, This is how God wants to spill into the world. Or the gift of faith, it's kind of an unusual, it's not normal faith, it's this unusual trust that you just know it will be a certain way because you have this confidence. Some of you have experienced this at times. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. What I'm trying to encourage is that we need to see these various characteristics charisms as being present in our midst, and as a people, we should always applaud them. Sometimes they make you look a little weird. Just don't be weird. Be nice. So, you know, people put up with your occasional weird. First Peter 4 says it this way, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, not put themselves up as better than others, but serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms like bouquet of flowers. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. 
If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in everything, God's praise through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This was the church. They were full of gifts of the Spirit. They were full of these kinds of fruit of the Spirit. And they were always conscious. It's not us. We're morons. It's God. He's present in our lives. But they learned to celebrate that in their midst. All right. Back to our text. One more point. He says, I pray, this is Paul's prayer, I pray out of the glorious riches that he may strengthen you, this is verse 16 again, with power through his spirit, and watch, in your inner being. Again, Paul is saying that God wants to, them to walk about their earth connected to resurrection power, but he gives us a key to where it's found. Where is the resurrection power? How do I find it? And he says here that it's in our inner being. Now let me give you a quick anthropology lesson, human beings, biblically, are multifaceted beings. Paul described us in 1 Thessalonians 5, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify, means set you apart, make you different, through and through, right, your whole life. May your whole spirit and soul and what? Body, spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's Times the Bible describes humanity and the human experience in different ways, but we know that there's some kind of parts to us. And this, Paul defines it as spirit and soul and body. And according to the text, generally, we find out that our spirit part, whatever part that is, is specifically fathered by God himself. Right? We see texts like Hebrews 12. Moreover, we have had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the what? Father of our spirits and live. We see this in the Genesis account, even though, you know, however that's to be understood, we see this kind of notion in Genesis 2 where the Lord forms the, the, the human being from the dust of the ground and he breathes into his nostrils. Interesting, the word breath and spirit are the same in Hebrew. And so he's spiriting into the nostrils this breath of life or the spirit of life and man became a living being. So there's a kind of physical orientation and then there's a spiritual part. The suggestion is, is almost that all human beings that come into the world, what makes us particularly unique is that we're still individual creations of God. That every pregnancy that happens, somehow God is spiriting that body that comes within the mother. That God's actively creating. He is the father of our spirits. The inner being that Paul is addressing here, that he says is where we tap into the Holy Spirit, is that spirit part of us. It's the deepest part of us. It's deeper than consciousness. It's deeper than rationale. It's deeper than will. It's deeper than ego or feeling or passion. It's something deep within us. It's the part of us, get this, it's the part of us that's rooted in God. Like a plant goes into the, the roots go into the ground, the soil, the soil, the, the, like the soil is to the plant. Somehow our very essence is rooted in God. On some level, we are united with God. Now think about this. Paul makes this explicit a kind of, of, of claim when he's talking to pagans. And he's telling people that are not inside faith. He tells them, he quotes actually from one of their uh, writings, but, but it's a song we sing. It's something that all the Christians have embraced. It's out of Acts 17, 28. For in him, you ever hear this one? In him we what? Live, move, and what? 
have our being. The only reason we're alive is because God holds us within himself. The only reason we have breath is because God gives us breath. When we die, when our being gets kind of our, our whatever part of us that leaves, it's because God lets us go. But he's holding us. Uh, we, in one sense, all people, including lost people, are rooted in and united in God. That doesn't mean they're saved. It just means they're being held by God's very essence inside them. And there's some sense of union somewhere in every human life. They can't see it. That's the problem. Salvation is about seeing what we did not see because there's blinders on them. There's a text in 2 Corinthians that says, if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to people who are perishing. The God of this age, which is a nod to the Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The reason people can't see that aren't in faith, they can't see their, their place that's united in, to, with God in their hearts or somehow is being held by God is because they're blinded to it. They're, they're alienated from it. Sin alienates us from our rootedness and our unity in God. In his book, The Confessions, Augustine speaks of this. He says, but before I received your light, you were speaking to me. Before I came to faith is what he's saying. You were speaking to me, but I did not know it. Every person on this planet, God is on some level speaking to them. Even through creation, which is the first book of Revelation, God is speaking to people, pulling them to himself. Most people just don't understand it. They don't see it. They don't get that it's God, but that doesn't mean God's not speaking to them. One of the things that the gospel does is simply help people to understand what's been going on their whole lives. Augustine goes on to say later in the Confessions, he says, Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient and so new. Late have I loved you. Lo, you were within. You're always here, but I was out here looking for something. I was out here outside seeking there for you. And upon shapely things you have made, I rushed headlong. You say, I'm running up to your creation, forgetting the creator. I didn't know how to connect with the creator. I was misshapen. You were with me. And yet I was not with you. They held me back far from you. These things, these created things I was running at. Those things which would have no being wouldn't even exist were they not in you. One of the great things that Augustine plays with over and over is this notion that things only have existence because they're in God. That every human is only existing because we're in God on some level. Somewhere in us, we are with God. He's holding us together. This is, this is also supported by texts like Paul in Colossians 1. He says, Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things, what? Hold together. See, there's a part of every human being that's being held together by God, in God. And on some level, every human is rooted, and every human is united with God. Not necessarily saved on any stretch of the imagination. Because salvation is the blinders coming off. Salvation is when we see Christ as the way back to our rootedness, the way back to seeing our, our unity with God. In salvation, we see that we can, we, are, we can be reunited with God from our ego, from our mind, from our consciousness, from, our, from our, you know, this upper higher place, we get, or, or, or superficial place really. But we also not only connect with God, we actually begin to connect with ourselves. That's why salvation is so cool. 
is because you not only read, you not only discover the God who's holding you, you discover the you who was lost alienated from yourself. That's why every time you sin as a believer, it just feels like you're floating because you disconnect. James said it make, sin makes God feel like he's your enemy, even though he's not, and it also disconnects you with you. You become alienated. If you feel alienated, it's not because you are. It's because sin is present. That's why sin stinks so bad. That's why God says don't fall into sin. Why? Because it's not because he hates you. It's because he knows you'll be alienated and feel lost in your life. Here's what's critical about this I'm trying to communicate is that God's kingdom and God's life and God's strength flow from here. The kingdom, Jesus said, of heaven is where? Within you. It flows from here. You, have, you and I have to learn on how to get here, <laughs> how to figure out how to connect with this spirit part of us. If, if we're alienated from that part, that place, that inner being, we're alienated from our inner being. We are alienated from God's work in our lives. And so let's wrap this up. Back to, to our prayer from Paul, verse 20. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. According to his power that is at work within us. He says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. Here's the point. Is that God is at work in us. That's the claim. The question is, are we even aware of it? Are we so distracted out here? Looking to God if he does something physical or touches our emotions. or Are we looking for God or have we learned to realize that if we will begin to understand how to connect with God on the deepest level that we are. Below ego, below consciousness, below rationale, below certainly uh, passion or emotion, that somewhere deep within us, God is present with His Spirit, working in us, trying to give us power for fruit, for gifts, the whole nine yards. The question is then, how do we tune in? And I want to close with just three simple ideas about how you can be more open to the work of God in your spirit. Number one is simple. Acknowledge the Holy Spirit's already there. The Holy Spirit is in you. I don't care what you feel like. It doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't, if you've never had an answer to prayer, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is promised to be working in you if you're a believer in Christ. And you and I need to learn to acknowledge him. Just simply acknowledge him. There's a text in, in Hosea that says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. I, I think what he's saying is just don't be rude. Right? I mean, if I walked up to you guys and you were talking and I stood there and you never acknowledged me, I just think you were rude. That's all it is. I, all he's simply saying is God is here. Acknowledge him. We try to feel him. We try to see if we see any evidence of him. No, just simply acknowledge him without any evidence, without any feeling. Just say, I know you're here. Just acknowledge you. One of the places I do this, this is kind of the oddest place, is sometimes in the middle of the night when my bladder calls me. I'll get up and, you know, kind of walking in the total darkness, you know, and, uh, which is how I feel most of the time. But anyway, <laughs> I'm walking in total darkness and sometimes I'll stop. And I'll just say, I know you're here. Or sometimes I'll actually kneel down in my As I get older, it's getting less frequent. But <laughs> I'll kneel down, I'll say, I know you're right here. Just simply acknowledging him. 
Acknowledging him, through the, acknowledging him when you come to stoplights. Acknowledge him. Because watch what he says. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Acknowledge God more and he will peek out at you more in your life. Number two. Learn to lean into the lordship of Christ. This is one of the things we Americans particularly, you know, we're kind of like kings in the world. We don't like bowing the knee to anybody or bowing to anybody. But we have to remember, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> and, and you should bow in your hearts and Jesus, I surrender. I'm not in charge. I give you my life. Every time you surrender to the lordship of Christ, you step into the portal of the Holy Spirit. Watch it. This is 1 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can even say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Every time you say, Jesus is Lord, you are engaging with the Holy Spirit. You're opening your heart to the Holy Spirit. Bill Bright, who was the uh, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, preached this almost incessantly. He said, we need to be a people full of the Holy Spirit, which means you've got to keep declaring Jesus Christ as your Lord. This is how we do it, by the Holy Spirit. So you declare His Lordship as you're walking into meetings. Declare His Lordship as you're walking onto the job. Declare your, His Lordship as you're walking into your relationship with friends or in the home. If you'll declare His Lordship, you'll find out the Holy Spirit will be right on the tails of that declaration. And that's surrender. So it declares lordship. And the number three is I think yielding to the Spirit in the deepest part of your being requires a kind of focus, intent. Because you're not talking about your mind. You're talking about below the mind. You're not talking about your ego or your consciousness. You're talking about below. So there has to be some kind of intentionality of your mind kind of sinking lower. It's uh, Madame Guyon from the, from the um, Middle Ages. She spoke of, if you want to encounter God in the deepest sense, she said, imagine grabbing onto an anchor and sinking with it to the bottom of the sea. And let go below your mind, below the seas, uh, the top of the sea. And go down, and then when you get there, look for the face of God and just simply worship Him. She was talking about going to a deeper place in us. Some people call it centering prayer, where you learn to, to just kind of float back in God and lean into and just begin to learn to worship God on the deepest part of you that's not just superficial, it's certainly not emotional. Uh, it, it's really something that you and I need to learn to discover. Google it, centering prayer. It will help you. But beyond that, and I've loved this, some people think some of that stuff is new agey because it's from the East. Listen, not everything from the East is of the devil. People eat food in the East. We eat food in the West. Right? I mean, there's some, you know, this notion of meditation. Oh, I just like to read your, well, I won't be mean to you. Uh, <laughs> well, why not? I usually am anyway. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I might go there. But the point is, is that there, there's something of meditation that helps you get centered in a deeper place in you. But lastly about this, and I'll say this, I'll give you a kind of a, a pull of Pentecostal on you. And, and I want to tell you that, that glossolalia, speaking in tongues, also comes from that spot. And glossolalia, Paul says it this way. This is 1 Corinthians 14. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him, including the person that's speaking. He utters mysteries by the Spirit, as this translation says, but the, the New International Version says, he utters mysteries with his Spirit. Somehow when you pray in this tongues, this result of the Holy Spirit 
engagement with the human life. You can read it in Scripture. There's texts like Acts 2. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Acts 19, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. See, there's, this, there's something when this idea of pursuing God and opening up to the Holy Spirit and being willing to give him your mouth, give him your tongue, that can open something up in you that I have found and many have found to be extraordinarily sweet and cool. And what I like about it, it's not that you have to speak with tongues to do this. It, in fact, where I really learned this was I was first pastoring in the early 80s and I ran across this Campus Crusade for Christ gal. Her name was Kathy. And, uh, and I met her. I, you know, I didn't know much about campus. And that's the guy I just mentioned, Bill Bright. He always talked about uh, you know, uh, the Lordship of Christ producing the power of the Holy Spirit. And this girl, I'm sitting down with her, she, she manifested more of the life of Jesus Christ than anyone I had ever met. She liked oozed Jesus. She was kind and gracious and some sense of palpable presence of the Holy Spirit in her life. And as I was sitting there, I thought to myself, I want to be like this girl. I mean, that was my, I mean, I was so taken with how much life of the Spirit was in her. And in the back of my mind, the thought came to me, I bet she doesn't speak with tongues. Now, why this is important is because I was of the opinion back then, some whatever years ago, 30 years ago it was, I was of the opinion then that you weren't filled with the Spirit unless you spoke with tongues. And so I'm seeing this person more full of the Spirit than I was, more full of the Spirit than most people that I knew in our church, and she did not speak with tongues. So it was like a grenade thrown right in the middle of my ideas, which I hate. But it was true. And as I got to know that gal, we got to know her over a period of a couple of years. I mean, it was later on, I, I began to realize, no, she, being full of the Holy Spirit is more than people who speak with tongues. And oftentimes, people who speak with tongues are more full of the devil anyway, right? And so I just, I need to learn that there's more than this. But there was something about tongues that always got me. It was almost to me, as I, to, to, to reference Star World, or Star, not Star World, Star Trek. Thank you. Based on a possible story. They travel all through the universe, right? And they go there in their really fast Star Trek plane. <laughs> but, but there are times when it just doesn't go fast enough, right? And they, they, it's going to take them a really long time to get to a certain part of the universe. But then they find these wormholes. And these wormholes are these places that they can get in and sneak through. It's a little rough, but they get in, they sneak through, and they get really, really far in a really, really short period of time, right? It's the wormhole. See, I think tongues, centering prayer is awesome, declaring the Lordship of Christ is awesome, but it takes a lot of focus and quite a bit of time. And then every once in a while when you throw in a tongue, it's like, you go through a wormhole! And it's like, bam! And you're like, in the presence of God. I am a massive tongue talker. I just got to tell you, I'm a, coming out of the closet. And when I go purposely and I throw myself into it, it's like I get in the presence of God and just feel his ooze and his glory pretty quickly. So don't have to do it. It's a cool deal if you want to do it. Talk to somebody who does it. You'll figure it out. All right, so being a people of the Spirit, that's what makes God, makes us like God to Pharaoh. That's what makes us like God to the world. We become this prophetic people who live in a way that matters. We're a people who will show Jesus in a way that makes him attractive and people will come to Christ. Let's stand. Father, we simply pray and ask you
by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will help us be a prophetic people in this place, in this city, in the context of the relationships that we have. Thank you for both the fruit and the charisms of, of the gifts of the Spirit that are in our midst. I pray that you'll show us as a people how to be more open to them, more welcoming of them. God, some of us have only been in context where the gifts of the Spirit were put on parade and sometimes were over-dramatized and sometimes it just created more confusion than anything. But help us not, in steering from that, steer away from your gifts and steer away from your power. Help us as a people learn how to be a people of the Spirit so that you can be manifested through our lives in both the fruit that seems so natural but supernaturally natural and then these other things that really are just supernatural. Help us be your people. Help us pursue you, precious Spirit of God, so that the thing that God imagined for us, that the things that are beyond imagination, beyond asking, will begin to be seen in our midst. We ask through Christ our Lord. And everybody said, amen. I'm going to invite those of you that are helping us with Eucharist to come forward. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.